Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 81. What we must be vigilant about is to be on guard lest the temptation of our fallen human condition is to offer lower earthly wisdom to people we know that are going through a lot of trouble rather than in a compassionate and kind spirit through gentleness to restore them. Shalom. Welcome once again to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and this is episode number 81 and part 17 in my series of Defining Biblical Love. On the previous show, I dealt with 1 Corinthians 13.6 and the first half of that statement that Paul made when he said that love does not rejoice in iniquity. And the context, of course, is that of divine giving love as it is generated from within Jehovah's own nature and then given unto us or infused into us so that we can turn around and send it back out in the same way that it came unto us. So let's continue where we left off, part 17. All that we experience in this life, all the lessons, everything that we have learned and are learning, they are all designed by Jehovah to teach us about the relationship that Jehovah has with us and we with him and how we should learn to respond to his corrections and training in righteousness or injustice, if you would like to put it that way. But this is conversely compared to something different if we instead relate to one another as judges or shoftim in Hebrew, meaning we end up giving ourselves permission to essentially bully each other coming at each other with our own jaded and veiled words, placating one another, pacifying one another, and really we're not being truthful with one another. We're just, uh, you know, hiding things and covering things up to kind of make ourselves look holier than thou in the way we approach each other, when in reality, all of our words are rather unsympathetic definitely not compassionate and full of mercy, not doing our job as trying to restore one another in this faith. The spirit of our flesh is not going to let that happen. I know that. I think you also know that too. Well, then I think the spirit of Messiah Yeshua will likely come to us with a a divine reprimand and a rebuke for our lack of showing compassion and kindness and mercy, even as he used the man Elihu with his words spoken to Job in Job chapters 32 through 37, speaking about attitudes of being judgmental and unsympathetic. So I am inclined to think that with the words of Elihu, In Job chapters 32 through 37, 
is actually something that Yeshua may have been addressing as part of his lessons as they are expressed for us in the statement recorded for us in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now here, notice that Yeshua said to lay down one's life for his friends. What exactly does this mean? Well, I think that the meaning is we are to do as Yeshua did for us. And what exactly was it that Yeshua did for us? Well, we know from the New Covenant writings that he functioned as an advocate, an arbiter, an intercessor, and he called us his friends. Though, how could he possibly do so when clearly we are sinners that inherited the fleshly fallen human condition that Adam and Eve passed down to us from the Garden of Eden, chapter 3, and the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, which Paul calls the law of sin and death. So once again, this appears to be precisely what Yeshua did for us when he laid down his life for all of us sinners, presenting himself as our intercessor and our arbiter, advocate, and mediator. This is exactly how the lesson is presented to us in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. For there is one Elohim, or one God, and one mediator between Elohim and men, the man Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So once again, I can very much understand why Paul speaks this way in Galatians 6, 1-2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, meaning you who desire and would like to walk in the Spirit, he says, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Messiah. Well, indeed, we all are to fulfill the law or Torah of Messiah if we truly want to be spiritual, meaning to walk in the Spirit, which you can learn about from Romans chapter 8. And how is this to be manifested? It is to step into the pains of the law of sin and death that others are, in fact, going through. People like Job and many others, even in our own generation. And I'm sure you know plenty of people like that who are going through some really, really tough times. Well, what are we supposed to do? If I understand Scripture correctly, is to do precisely what Yeshua did for us. We are being taught to mediate and intercede for those who are going through some really, really tough trials and tribulations in the name of Messiah Yeshua, mediating for us through His physical and spiritual deaths. First the physical one, 
and then in the second death. That's the spiritual death. And then coming out of both of those through his third day resurrection. Subsequently, what we must be vigilant about is to be on guard against the temptation of our fallen human condition in the flesh to offer lower earthly wisdom to people we know that are going through a lot of trouble, to perhaps even come at them in a judgmental spirit rather than in a compassionate and kind spirit, but not through condemnation and judgment, but rather to heal a person through Messiah's compassion in the same way that we received compassion in our own struggles with our human fallen condition that we received from Adam and Eve through an inheritance passed down from Genesis chapter 3 and the Garden of Eden. I think the temptation for each of us is to merely relate to someone's pains superficially, all the while feeling pretty good about ourselves, patting ourselves on the back, so to speak, in our approach towards the pains and the sufferings of fellow believers in this redemptive faith that we have received through Yeshua the Messiah. So for us, we have a warning from Yehovah, and it's written about in Jeremiah or Yermiyahu 8 verse 11. Yehovah says, For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. How is that done? The Hebrew terminology here is kuf lamed lamed. It's a Hebrew term that refers to something that is trivial or insignificant. And it can be translated to English as something that is superficial or just kind of a surface kind of thing. So it is written in Yermiyahu that we tend to heal the hurt of the people just in a superficial kind of manner. And how do we do that? We say, peace, peace, meaning, come on, get up. Why are you acting so downcast? Why are you constantly bemoaning everything? That's what Job's three friends were doing in the early chapters of the book of Job. And I think we do that too. Try to count the number of times you've done things like that, especially with people who have gone through a tremendous bereavement of a loved one, like a husband or a wife or a child, where a death just happened. And you come and, you know, you try to comfort someone, and that's all well and good, but then say maybe about a month or so later, you're there on your friend's doorstep, and now you're kind of telling them, look, come on, and you're kind of pointing to your, your, your clock or your watch. Come on, it's already been a couple of months now. Get on with life. Come on, get going. What are you doing? You know, everything's going to be okay. Is that showing compassion and mercy? According to Yehovah, no. For Yehovah says that we say these kinds of things, that we act in a superficial, trivial insignificant manner, and we speak with words that are superficial, trivial, and insignificant on the surface, and we say, come on, get your act together, get out of this hole, when there is nothing but sadness and trouble and hurt and pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm seeing it here in this text. It looks like it 
could very well be correct the way I'm understanding it. And once again, this brings us back to Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Their words were not mediating. They were not intercessory. They were not acting in a compassionate way, but rather they were dripping with triviality and acting quite insignificant with their words in the healing of Job's bemoaning, suffering, and pain, because he obviously was going through a whole lot. Ultimately, it was Elihu, the youngest of those who were there with Job in Job chapter 32, as he held his tongue, he says it's because he was the youngest, and then afterward in Job chapter 32, and continuing through chapter 37, that's five full chapters, so the lesson appears clear to me. If we can all be mindful to avoid provoking and challenging one another in ways that someone else might be going through a lot of pain and suffering and some very, very hard or difficult times, that as fellow believers are going through these kinds of things and We don't know why they're going through those things, for whatever reasons, as we ourselves go through things from time to time, for whatever reasons, known or unknown to us, we don't always know everything, then I would have to say that to learn a lesson of how to deal with this amongst those in our spiritual household of faith and those who are our friends, our family, our relatives, you know, people that we know, and love that are in this spiritual walk, then I think it is a good lesson for us. And in fact, Paul spoke about this in Galatians 5, 25-26. He said, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, or also to walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Therefore, if we use our free will and we choose to not walk in the spirit of our redemption through Yeshua, then it naturally follows that we will then walk in and through the spirit of our fallen fleshly nature, meaning we will not reckon it as dead in the way that we are supposed to reckon it as dead, but instead We treat our stinking flesh as if it actually is alive and that it actually does have authority over us when it does not. And so we learn the basis for the meaning of iniquity, as Paul expressed it in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Divine giving love, as it is generated from within Jehovah's own nature, This does not rejoice in, or you could say it is not happy with, iniquity. And the term is coming from a Greek word, which is then deriving its meaning from a Hebrew term, in Hebrew, ein vav nun, avon. Now, I actually discussed this definition in great detail from my previous podcast of March 2020, On Real Israel Talk Radio, that was episode number 11, and the program title, What is Iniquity? You can go back and listen to that if you would like any 
greater detail than what I'm about to give to you today. Most English language dictionaries are going to give us a definition that is close to a behavior that is considered a gross injustice, or perhaps an illegality, an immoral behavior, or an action. Whilst these are terms that can be applied today in a general definition, they do not precisely capture the meaning of the term iniquity as it was used in Scripture and in the biblical times. Once again, the English word iniquity translates the three-letter Hebrew word avon, and this comes from its working verb la'avet, la'avet, meaning to twist, to bend, to distort, and to pervert. The first use of the Hebrew root ein vav nun, or avon, which gives us that working verb la'avet, this term appears in Genesis 4.13. It concerns Cain, or Cain, after he murdered his brother in a field. Cain said to Jehovah, My avon is greater than I can lift or bear up. Well, I would ask, what exactly did he mean in saying this? I think as I would understand the Hebrew term avon, ein vav nun, is something along the lines that Cain or Cain seems to be saying that he was bearing up or lifting his own twisted, bent, distorted, and perverted nature, and was quite likely feeling totally helpless in being able to extricate himself from how he was feeling and from the guilt of what he had done to his brother. Yeah, I think he was warring within himself against the burden of something that was now very much a part of his human nature, and he just could not shake it loose. He couldn't bear the load and had to deal with his new fleshly nature. So it appears to me that Cain or Cain would be in total agreement with Paul when he wrote the words of Romans 7:19 through 25. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Then he really comes down on himself hard, and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? No, this is a person he's talking about. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So in essence, I think Cain was saying the same thing that Shaul or Paul was saying. Who 
will deliver me from this body of death. And this really brings it home for all of us. How often have you felt this way in all of your daily battles, your skirmishes, your wars, and all of those personal struggles that you have with your fallen human spirit nature in sin and death, the stuff that's in your flesh? Well, I suspect that you sometimes just must feel like screaming. Well, I tell you, it's quite normal to feel this way. And no doubt, I think Cain understood this same internal awareness of his own fleshly overwhelm as it is expressed through Paul in Romans 7.25. I thank God through Yeshua the Messiah, our Master Yehovah. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God or the law of Elohim, but with the flesh, the law of sin, and I would add death, because it is, in fact, the law of sin and death that he's talking about in and coming from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. In short, the Hebraic idea behind the English term iniquity is, I think, that of speaking to our human condition, that monstrous, ugly thing that we inherited coming down from Adam and Hava or Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, referring to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, the etz hada'at tov vera in Hebrew, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, interestingly, this idea that this tree was pleasant to the eyes, the Hebrew word behind this term, pleasant, is the idea ta'ava. It's the same word that shows up in the book of Exodus, when all of the camp of Israel was going after all of that quail because they were not wanting to trust Jehovah for their food. They were lusting after the quail. And that is exactly the term that is being used here, that this tree was lust to the eyes of Hava. It was lust, and it was a tree desirable to give her earthly lower smarts. Therefore, she took of the fruit and ate, and she gave it to her man, Adam, and he also ate with her. And so what happened? They both came to receive the horrible curse of Avon, Ein Vav Nun, a natural, ingrained twistedness, bentness, and perversion that they not only came to know by experience, but they also passed it down to all of us, giving each of us the same inbred fallen human nature that is truly a despicable nature without question, a nature that is entirely self-centered in being twisted, bent, distorted, and perverted. So I say, yes, welcome to the world of our fallen human nature, our flesh nature, 
And this sad human condition was something that Cain clearly understood because it was and is the nature of our spiritual father. He is the serpent or the Nahash of Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is precisely why Yeshua chose to say what he said to the Purushim or the Pharisees of his day in John 8, 36-44. And we'll come back to what Yeshua said after we take a short break. So in the meantime, if you want to find out more about what I'm doing, what I'm up to, go to my website at www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. So stay with us, and we'll be back. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 81. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio, and I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off. We were talking about that horrible curse of Avon, in Hebrew, Ein Vav Resh, which is translated for us into English as iniquity, which is nothing more than a natural, ingrained, twistedness, bentness, self-centeredness, and something that is distorted and totally perverted. And where does all that stuff come from? It comes from Eve, or Hava, getting snookered by the Nahash or the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, the same thing that is now passed down to us, and we inherit that same curse. And therefore, Yeshua identified that curse as coming from its source, which is our spiritual father. That's not Yehovah. No, we're not born into this world with Yehovah as our father. No, it's not that way at all. The serpent, the Nahash, yes, he's our father. It is his seed that is in us. And this is precisely why Yeshua chose to say what he said to the religious leaders of his day, the Purushim or the Pharisees, in John 8, 36 through 44. Listen to his words. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants or seed. And by the way, that is in the natural, not the spiritual. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. The idea in the Hebrew would be because the word that is to me has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. Well, now, they answer him, and they say to him, No, Abraham is our father. Yeshua then says to them, If you were Abraham's children or sons, you would do the acts or the deeds of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, 
which I heard from Elohim, or God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, No, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God, or Elohim. And Yeshua said to them, If Ha-Elohim, or God, were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from Ha-Elohim, or God, not that I've come from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? That's what he says to them. And his rhetorical answer is because you are not able to listen to the word that is to me. You are of your father, the Nahash or the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of the lie. Now, if you ask me, I do not think that Yeshua was speaking exclusively to the religious leaders of his day, saying, you are of your father, the devil, or the Nahash. I know a lot of people out there like to say, yeah, he was calling the Pharisees the sons of the devil. But I got to tell you, we're no better than the Pharisees. We inherited the same thing they did. So if their father is Nahash or the devil, as Yeshua said so, then why would we be any different when we come into the world like they do? No, 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 no. Our father is also Nahash, and that's why we have to be born from above. You see? Because when we are born into this world, all of us come pre-wired. If you want to put it in that manner, we come pre-wired with the spiritual DNA from the seed of the same father that they had, who is Nahash, also called the serpent, the devil, and the opposer in Scripture. Indeed, he is our spiritual father. When we are born into this world, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, period. This is precisely why Yeshua said that we must that's the operative word, that we must be born from above. As he also said the same thing to Nicodemus in Yohanan or John 3, 3 and 3, 7. You see, there is just no way around this earthly curse that is ingrained in each of us, my friends, period. It explains why Paul so accurately wrote these words with his new covenant thinking mind who is the mind of Messiah. That's the covenant mind he's talking about. So let's go here to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous, meaning the unjust, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, 
nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified or made just in the name of the master Yeshua and by the spirit of our God or our Elohim. So he says, you're not that way anymore. He didn't say, oh, they don't battle with things like this. He just says, you are not of that anymore. And it is so true. We are not of that anymore. So stop thinking of yourself as being that way when you're not. Battling with these things? Okay, that's a different matter. So please, if you would, forgive me for once again reiterating this same principle thing over again and again. When we are born into this natural world, say it with me, we contain the spiritual DNA of the snake and the serpent of Genesis. It's that one who snookered Eve into buying into that big lie that his earthly wisdom from below, it is much greater and it is much better than Jehovah's heavenly wisdom from above. And so it was Paul who wrote these things of reprimand to those in Colossae or Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, when he said, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Messiah." earthly philosophy, according to the tradition of men. This is the same exact idea that Yaakov or James spoke about in his writing from the book of Yaakov or James 1, 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, natural, of the lower spiritual world of the serpent. For where envy and self-seeking exist, there is confusion and every evil thing. So, Paul expounded on this matter of divine love as it is referenced in 1 Corinthians 13.6. He was saying that Jehovah's love is not the kind of love that we might think it is as we would define it in our everyday life, in our everyday culture, in the way that the world defines love, which is to be happy and to rejoice in stepping back and giving each of us the kind of freedom that our flesh craves that our flesh wants, much like the world that is around us, which the world wants. You see, Jehovah does not define his love as a kind of do your own thing, have it your way, it's okay, you're free, 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 go ahead, be loose, be free, be out of control, be unrestrained, be unyielding to his kingdom laws of heaven, Hey, have it your way. It's a party. No, Jehovah does not rejoice in that kind of happiness as the world defines it, as if we are the ones who choose 
to be the captain of my own soul or the master of my own fate? No, this is not the way Jehovah's love is defined, nor is it how it works, because he knows that we are captive to our fallen human spirit of flesh. And more so, he knows that if we stay on this path of telling ourselves, I'm the captain of my own soul, I'm the master of my own fate, I have total freedom to choose what I want to do, I can do my own thing, and I don't care what you say. I don't care what anybody says. I can be loosey-goosey, free as a bird, out of control. I don't have restraints. I don't have to yield to anybody or any law. I'm totally free, free, free. You see, if we stay on that path, Jehovah knows it will, without question, lead us unto our own demise and destruction, if not physically, certainly spiritually. He knows us well, and this is why he set about to free us from the law of sin and death, so that we will come to recognize how utterly wasted, despicable, and lost that we are. And then with that, hopefully come in repentance to receive his divine love of grace and truth for our lives. So then this leads me to conclude that anything else that we choose to believe and receive for our lives as we seek to define wisdom and love, we can be sure of only one thing. If our definitions of wisdom and love are not from above, then they are most certainly from below. And this is what that snake That serpent of the garden peddles to the world around us. And this is why Yeshua said what he said in Yochanan or John 8, 23, to the religious leaders of his day. You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Because everything that is defined from life in this world below needs to come into alignment with the definitions that Yehovah gives from his world and his life from above. We can clearly see this in two places of Scripture. First, let's go to Job 1, 6-7. Now, there was a day when the sons of Elohim came to present themselves before Yehovah, and Nahash also came among them. And Yehovah said to Nahash, "'From where do you come?' Nachash answered Jehovah, and he said, From roaming about on the earth, and from on her, which is very, very interesting in Hebrew, but we're not going to address that right now. So, what was Nachash saying? He was roving about, as in walking about like a pharaoh in his free-flowing spirit, which explains why pharaoh has the symbol of a snake embedded into his headdress. Now go to 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the Nahash, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, or quite seriously, seeking someone that he can eat, or eat for dinner, or eat for lunch. So the Nahash of Genesis 3.1, the serpent, 
He is the one who is called the opposer, and he is a slithering snake in all of his ground movements. And he knows by the company that he recruits amongst those who desire to be his that all of them are bent, twisted, perverted, distorted, and moving around in and on the earth using sinusoidal waves and curves, all pointing us back to Genesis 3.14 and Jehovah's decree to the serpent that he was to get his motion while on his belly. This idea of the way the serpent moves on the ground is a description that points us to 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, where it is written that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed or listening to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That is the point that is being made. I understand the Hebrew term avvon, again spelled in Hebrew, ein, vav, nun. And I understand what it means in Scripture from all of these images of Genesis chapter 3. Therefore, when I see the English term iniquity, I am suggesting that we should be thinking about the serpent's walking movements on the ground. The way he walks, the way he moves, it's nothing more than distortions of his body and mind as he moves through the grass and on the ground in a way that would be considered bent or twisted or perverted, all referencing this idea of the law of sin and death, which is what Paul was speaking about, coming from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. So this is why Yeshua warned us to beware of those who look like sheep among us, but are nothing more than wolves who are prepared to eat you for lunch or dinner. So I think you've got to be careful, very careful, extra careful. Pay attention to what's going on around you. And then this takes us back to the example of what these kinds of personalities do in our midst. They do not have the love of Jehovah so as to be saved. For this you can see 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7-12, through 12, as Paul wrote these words. The personalities that we run into who are very much twisted and perverted and hypocritical, and they're bending and twisting like their father, the serpent. You see, they pretend to have Jehovah's love as shepherds of Jehovah's sheep, as though they love you. But they don't love you. They love themselves. So this is why it is written for us through the words of Ezekiel 34, 8 through 10. As I live, says Jehovah Elohim, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds 
search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of Jehovah. Thus says Jehovah Elohim, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. And also, there is this from Ezekiel 34, 11-16. For thus says Jehovah Elohim, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep. So I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries or the lands, and I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says Jehovah Elohim. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken, and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. So we can clearly understand, based on this, that the one who searches out Jehovah's sheep and seeks them out, this is the one who is the good shepherd of Scripture, this is Yeshua, the promised Messiah. And he obviously came to fulfill a messianic redemption story, as it is expressed in John 10, 15 through 16. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. But equally, we get these words from Paul in Philippians 3, 18 through 19. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, they are the enemies of the Roman crucifixion tree of Messiah, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And likewise, Yehuda goes on, to give us a fair warning of these wolves in sheep's clothing, as it is referenced in Yehuda or Jude, verses 10 through 13. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them! For they have gone in the way of Cain, or Cain of the book of Genesis, chapter 4, 
they have run greedily in the error of Bilam, or Balaam, for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds of late autumn trees, without fruit, twice dead. That's a reference to the two deaths of Genesis 2.17. Pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up in their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So for this podcast, I conclude with the thoughts that when we set our hearts on learning how to love as our Father in heaven loved us through Yeshua, then we can fully appreciate Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. This is that divine love that does not rejoice in the doctrines of demons. It does not rejoice in the doctrines that promote self-centeredness, twistedness, bentness, personal, spiritual, and or material gains by way of the corruption that was passed down to us from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil in Genesis chapter 3. Rather, the law of love in Messiah Yeshua is based entirely on one thing. It is a love that rejoices in the truth. And we'll pick up with this on the next installment of this podcast series on defining biblical love. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio.